Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive 2014 Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem, too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great! Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutia of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. All right, it's 9.01, and hey, publishers like to kick off on time. So good morning to Freelancing 101 with uh, Cobalt Press. I'm Wolfgang Bauer. I'm the publisher of Cobalt Press. And uh, mingling and making new friends is Ben McFarland, one of the... Uh, lead freelancers and general regulars at Cobalt Press. Also, gold any winner for the best adventure of 2012. So, uh, a successful freelancer is what I'm saying. Uh, we have with us a ton of people who want to hear about freelancing in the RPG industry. I'm just going to ask a couple quick questions. Uh, are you all writers and game designers? Hands up for those who are aspiring writers and game designers. Are, yes, she's almost everyone. Uh, how many of you are like artists or cartographers or other sorts of freelance cartographers or artists? Can I ask what it is you do or aspire to do? In I art? paint. Painter? I also help design his, the art for his work. Yeah, okay. It's nice to have two scale sets. That's always excellent. Stick figures Stick figures for board games. I think I have that covered for Cobalt Press, but good to know. Um, all right, this is mostly a writing panel. Uh, we'll touch very briefly on art and cartography, but uh, okay. So mostly writing. And how many of you have already uh, written a complete manuscript of some kind, published or not? Some, maybe a third. Uh, how many of you have published that manuscript? Oh, most of you have completed something, have actually published the thing. Congratulations. That is good. Uh, and that leaves a whole lot of people saying, well, we haven't actually finished a thing. All right. So um, I'm going to do a five- or ten-minute dump on sort of how Cobalt Press gets new talent and roads into the industry, and then we'll take questions, I think, for a while. Uh, and maybe, Ben, you'll talk about how you got your break into the sure. biz, too. But let's lay, lay the groundwork first for how to break into the business. My own personal experience is I wrote stuff for a paper magazine called Dungeon. Um, 
and I did that by submitting paper query letters with a self-addressed stamped envelope to an editor who had a paper slush pile and would read my query letter and send it back to me with a, yeah, that's great, or a, no, we don't ever want to see that. Thank you very much. Uh, and there were stamps, and the U.S. Post Office was involved. So my, <laughs> my personal experience about breaking into the industry is not very relevant today. Um, the new ways to break in tend to involve things like having a blog of your own that talks about gaming subjects, and somebody notices that you're saying things, uh, drawing an audience of your own, uh, putting out a free product by yourself, self-publishing, uh, that's good enough for people to, you know, care um, and, and notice. Uh, that involves some layout and maybe a little art, but it's, it's worth doing if you, if you can promote yourself through a freebie. Um, contests seem to be another way that people go. We just finished at Cobalt Press something called Enter the Dragon's Lair. We've put five finalists up, the public votes. Well, people submitted tons of manuscripts. Uh, the judges waded through them and picked five and the public is going to pick a winner, and that person is very likely to become sort of a regular freelancer for us. Um, and then, of course, there are the wild card contests like RPG Superstar that Paizo runs. Uh, and then there's the, you're so insanely talented that you just corner a publisher at a convention and talk them into publishing your manuscript. I don't know. There are many roads to get in now. There's not one most likely path to get in, but most of them involve uh, having some written work to show, either a blog or a PDF, or something with a small press, or a contest entry. Um, and yeah, that's step one, have something to show. Uh, we also have standard submission lines, guidelines where you can just pitch your crazy idea. No matter what it is, we have an open call policy at Cobalt Press. This is foolish. Most other publishers <laughs> tell me, why do you take open stuff from the public? That's crazy. We don't deal with the unwashed masses. And I tell them, well, my first job in the RPG industry was reading the slush pile that I used to submit to. And there were gems in that slush pile. If you were willing to read through a lot of garbage... Um, that lot of garbage, by the way, made me feel a lot better about my own work. <laughs> like, I'm better than at least 80% of what I'm reading in the slush pile. I must be doing something okay. Um, but then occasionally I'd run into, oh my goodness, we must publish this immediately. This person's a genius. Why have I never heard of them? Right? So having that open field means that on the one hand you have to deal with a lot of, no, 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 not interested, thank you, no. Um, but you discover talent before all the publishers who have closed off the walls, closed the gates, and said, we're only working with the people we already know, right? Um, yeah, I, I could name some names who came out of that slush pile under my watch, and you would know them. Uh, it's a great way to find, find new writers. Uh, so we have the open policy. Uh, the guidelines are on the Cobalt Press website. Just look for the submissions section and, and send us a query letter. Query letter is this old art form where you say, this is the thing I'd like to write, and here's who I am. Um, there is a little bit of an art to that. You get better with yeah. <laughs> personal experience. They take a little bit of, of time trying to, you know, your first one is never is never a good outing. Yeah, it's not the same as writing, you know. A, a regular pitch. Yeah, or just even a regular letter, right? It's a business yeah. letter. 
where you're introducing yourself to a total stranger and trying to convince them to give you money for the words you've made up and put down on a hard drive. So, um, yeah, present yourself professionally. Make it clear what it is you're selling or intending to sell as a freelancer. Um, and, and if you have other credits that are relevant, like a journalism degree or... Um, I'll take your pick. Anything in the games category, right? I play tested heavily for this. I wrote a Pathfinder Society scenario. That's another route into the field, right? Organized play has a never-ending... Wow, these trains are disturbing. Uh, <laughs> organized play has a never-ending need for new content. So uh, the organized play program at Paizo, for instance, is a big source of new writers. Let's talk systems for a second. How many of you are mostly aiming to publish something for Pathfinder RPG? Uh, maybe a third. How many of you are hoping to publish something for Dungeons and Dragons? There's uh, a few. Uh, Savage Worlds? Fates? There's a whole bunch of people who have not expressed an opinion on a favorite system, and it could be anything. Call of Cthulhu? Uh, your own system. Your own system? Oh, yeah, that's that's a different panel. <laughs> uh, I mean, good luck to you. I hope it's an awesome system. I hope to play it someday, but wow, that's a whole other level of work than, than freelancing. Um, okay. Well, how many of you are, like, multi-system? There's, like, two or three systems you enjoy. Oh, you are the lucky freelancers, because the people who are narrowly specialized may find eventually that the system you most love is not buying as much or a smaller audience than it did ten years ago or that sort of thing. So as a freelancer, I highly recommend being multi-talented and having multiple systems that you enjoy, Shadowrun or... You know all the systems. Um, okay, that's my sort of quick rundown of the basics, how to get in, how to write a query letter, be professional. Uh, ben, do you want to tell the story of how I broke into the industry? Sure. Um, so I, <clears throat> I started off probably, I've been gaming for a very long time, and uh, like probably... On, probably sometime in the 80s. I started playing Dungeons & Dragons, the old... Uh, I think it's the home set with the Errol Otis art. And I just... I, all I was was a player for a long time. And then... Um, and then I started playing Living Greyhawk uh, in the early 2000s. And after a few adventures, I got frustrated. And I said, you know... I think I can do better than that. So I... Often the motivation. So I cornered one of my local organized play... Uh, coordinators, and I said, "Give me a chance." I was like, "Here's an idea." I caught him at the game store, and I, I basically I just I badgered him into giving me uh, an organized play adventure. And he's like, "Well, I, I need I need someone, and I need it in fairly short notice. So if you can get it done in time, go." And that's 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 an opportunity that you can some well, I've seen more often than not oh yeah the desperate publisher who needs a, th a thing a certain thing in a certain time yes. and really needs that certain thing in that certain time and if someone will save them if you can be the hero like if, you, if you can be the hero at that point that's like a that's a great end to that but so I got the chance to do that organized play adventure it paid nothing uh, 
They, they did not pay. Oh, it paid you in gratitude. It did. People remember, hey, you saved my bacon. And he ended up, while it's, it, and the area where I was writing was a very dense uh, with writers. So it was tough to get that slot. But what it got me, so I didn't get to write anymore for that region. But what he did is then he turned around and told a different region where they were running out. Yeah, they didn't often have authors. And those guys gave me like, I ended up writing like six or seven adventures for them over the course of, of like two or three years. And it was great. I mean, I really got a chance to, it depends on <clears throat> what you want to do with your freelancing. Wow, they're coming for us, I think. The orbital bombardment is getting more intense, people. <laughs> um, and so it was really great to do the organized play freelancing because it gave me a chance to experiment more than I would ordinarily get to do for a more established publisher. They, you know, you they give you a little more latitude. Very much. And that's one of the good things to note when you do go approach a publisher for freelancing is to know what their catalog is, what their style is, what products they have out. Um, there was a great freelancer for Wolfgang one time, and I remember the story because he laughed with us about it. Is he came up to Wolfgang and he pitched this whole adventure uh, about, and you would know his name when you see him, uh-huh. that is, uh, about uh, there's, a, there's a brewery, or no, it was a wine, it was a, 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 a vineyard. A vineyard. And, uh, and there's a, an alchemist, and he's, he's, he's basically kind of going Jekyll and Hyde, and he's created a cult behind the the vineyard and and he's he's building this All up fine. Was, and, they, and we're sitting there like and I remember that's saying, an awesome pitch you know we we published that last uh, last year <laughs> and he and he kind of went oh <laughs> it's good to know the catalog of the people you're pitching to right yes uh, in that case it was just okay he wanted to write this and it was a good idea I just not someone had beaten him to the punch and, and sometimes you can't know right. Uh, I have rejected queries, not infrequently, with uh, a message something like, yeah, this is great, but we already have something like it. Thanks. And we may not have published it yet. But it's like, sure. it's with the editor. It's in layout. We're still dinking around in development. We're not sure. But we've already got one, right? And I always want to do the Monty Python bit with that. It's like, thank you. We've already got one. But I, it's, you're just a out of luck, right? And so this is why query letters and sort of pitches and proposals are useful. Because as a freelancer, you only have so much time. And if you write a complete manuscript about the alchemist and the vintner and the, all of this, and then you come to me and say, here, I'm pitching it to you, and then you hear me say, yeah, I've already got one, well, you've just wasted weeks, right, writing the whole manuscript for someone who's not interested. And another publisher's not going to want to because if they're in the same... If they're in the very same niche, it's like, oh, well, we're a Pathfinder publisher and our competitor, Cobalt Press, has just published this thing. And they're like, yeah, you know, they just did. They're paying attention. And you've got a lovely home game scenario waiting. Yeah. So yeah. so then from organized play, um, I learned about uh, open design, which started in 2005, right? The six. Six. So start and, um, and it, that was a... Like an opportunity, well, it was essentially a master class in design where we all kind of watched uh, the designer or brainstormed with the designer for the project and then he would go and write a part of it and, uh, and then bring it back to us and we would comment on it. And eventually that gave me a chance to do playtesting for, for Cobalt Press. And, and so I did playtesting and, and I tried to show that I would write very detailed reports 
you know, of, of how I could pay attention to my mechanics and make sure that I could kind of establish my reputation with him that way. And then, um, and then we got, later on, there was a, a pitch where the author won the pitch but couldn't write the adventure. And I was paying attention to the, to the oh, boards, yeah. and he makes a comment on the board that, well, I'm still trying to figure out who's going to write this adventure. And that's um, why so I sent him an email, and I was like, look, coach, I can do this. Put me in. You know, I've, 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 done, I've done all these Living Greyhawk adventures, right? I and see, show. this is where those Living Greyhawk things paid off for you again, they because did. any pitch that comes in with, well, I've already done this other thing, yeah. right? I mean, people say you shouldn't write for free. You shouldn't, like, give your work away. Yep. And my take on it is you should give your work away when you have no other work published, right? Like, the first hit should be free from a freelancer uh, so that you can then turn around and say, well, I got this thing published. And the person you're telling that to doesn't know whether you were paid for it or not. All they know is somebody thought enough of your work to edit it and lay it out and present it to the public under their umbrella of organized play or, or publication. And that gives you one credit. And one credit... Then opens the door. It, it, well, it, it well, doesn't it miraculously... Not all the way, but it, it, it gives you yeah. the credibility of you are not just the dude who shows up with... With a, a his, manila envelope yeah. of like, I swear I've read that I wrote this great thing and it's the best. No, I mean you don't hand that manila envelope to someone it. at Gen Con and say, "Here, it's my thing." No, I mean what you want to do is say, "I have one credit and here is what I'm proposing for my next thing," or "I have seven credits and put me in because someone else flaked out on you." Right? Yeah. So, so every single publication as a freelancer gets you uh, work, gets you more work. Uh, and I would say, don't give your work away for free for very long. But that first one, maybe you do want to. Um, in my case, there wasn't the availability to get into that. I mean, back when, my first work was paying work. But I got lucky. Well, and then from there, so I did that with, with and that was 3.5. And then at the same time, my second, lo- well, my. Your first love my, is Ars Magica. Come on, is. just say it. Ars Magica is really the system I love the most. But they have a very tight author pool it's invitation only um they occasionally will do an open call but they are very very tight about it well they had a fanzine and i and i knew that the fanzine ended up on the line editor's desk every issue he wrote the foreword and he got every issue um and said as much so i made sure i put at least one article in every fanzine there were some where i had two after a little while, I was, I was asking the guy doing the fanzine, can I help you in any way? Because I wanted Now you're the publisher. <laughs> now, yeah, now, now I help run that fanzine. There's two of us. But it really did because at one point, uh, one of the other authors, a guy who's got like, I think it's like 24 books. of, And that's m- mainly what the guy does is Ars Magica books. He, uh, he wanted to use some kind of monster that I had done in a different fanzine. He's like, well, here's this griffin that they've got you know can't we just use that and because of legal reasons they couldn't use the fanzine but the author said look i keep stepping on ben's toes from the fanzine for stuff that i want to do in the regular line books why are we not just why don't we have ben in the author pool yeah why don't we bring him into the tent and so i mean it's again i'm sure the fanzine work wasn't paid right but it got you into an author pool you very much wanted to be in yes so um so I would say a very clever way to come to the attention of the people who could get you into the pool. 
All right, we've talked for a while about uh, sort of standard process at Cobalt Press and how we break in, uh, how to get on that first rung. Now we're going to open up for questions, like specifics, um, and then I'll, I'll ramble at you more if we don't get enough questions. So um, what do you guys want to know that we haven't already covered? Sure. Your story about um, the guy who pitched you something you already had. Sure. You know, it happens where we'll be on the floor and I'll see something and be like, this kind of sounds like what well, I'm working on. Yeah. How similar would you go? Or if somebody came and pitched you that again, would you think about doing, well, maybe this could be the follow-up to that storyline? Yeah, this is sort of a matter of opinion and a matter of degree, right? I mean, if somebody's doing something fairly niche with intellect devourers, some uncommon monster, you you might say, we're not going to touch anything that puts that monster on a cover, you know, for a year or two years until people forget the prior one, because that's super specific. If it's goblins, well, you know. Right. Everybody uses goblins all the time, and Cobalt Press has an adventure here at the show called Goblin Brewery, which is a very clear riff on Pathfinder players like goblins. We like goblins. We like breweries, too. Let's just do this as a con game. There it is. It's our convention exclusive. Um, I don't think anybody from Paizo is going to come over and say, oh, my God, Cobalt Press is tinkering with goblins. You know, what a ripoff of our stuff. And like, we own goblins. Uh, because it's a common monster that comes up all the time. So, you know, themes, it depends. And the more, like, narrowly specific genre it is, the more likely it is you are uh, you're going to get turned down if somebody else is working on something serious. That's why I'd say query at first. It could just be a you know two paragraph letter saying I'm really hot on intellect devourers, but you know I don't want to do that if you hate them and have hated them forever, and if uh, the psionics guys are already all over it. I, I like to outline more than work out the, the whole manuscript. Yeah, you can write an outline in a day or less. And that way it's, it kind of crystallizes the story for me. I have it on something, either on a file or in a moleskin or something, that I can kind of set aside. And that way, <clears throat> later on, even if that... I have it in my back pocket for later on. Yep. Because there were other times where, you know, you pitch something and somebody didn't take it. We had one project where where I had pitched this one story like two or three years prior. Everybody hated it. Like it was totally panned by everybody who was who was trying to to write. You know, everybody who was commenting on the different pitches was like, "No, I don't like this one. It just doesn't fit. It's not right for this." And I, I was like, "All right, fine." And I and I put it aside. And then like two years later, um, we're working on a different project, and we needed to put another pitch in the mix to just make sure we had enough for people to choose from. Yep. And I put it out there, and everybody's like, "This is a great pitch." And I'm like, "Where were you people two years ago?" Right. <laughs> But sometimes the time isn't right. Right, and that's the other part is knowing the time. In the back. I have a question. Uh, we're not just writing content in some sense we're writing the structure of the content or the organization of the content. Maybe we're approaching content in a different way. Yeah. And I, I'd like to know from your perspective if uh, how open you are as a publisher to differences in approach. In other words, not just the story and the content, but the, the structure of the work. You kind of lock in on this is how we, how we do things. Okay, I'll just repeat the question for the podcast folks. Uh, the, the question is, how open 
is Cobalt Press or publishers generally to content that's structured maybe differently from the industry standard or in a new way? Is that about right? Yeah. Um, does structure matter? Does stru- Well, of course structure matters, right? I mean, for, for some games, it's super highly structured. Organized play is notorious for this, right? It's like, here's the formula. 500 words of this, 600 words of that, a map, six encounters, done, right? Right, right. you know, um, adventure by numbers. Well, it's not quite adventure. You can do a lot within yes, the constraints, yes, but if you don't give them that, if right. you give them 50% more word count or the wrong number of encounters, people get upset, right? Because it's it's aimed at a purpose. Um, most of the things that Cobalt Press does are way more experimental and wide open. We've done weird, wacky format stuff from the beginning where we munge together adventure and sourcebook stuff. We'll say, here's the NPCs and locales. We're going to develop them first, and then we're going to write a bunch of adventures to go with them. Um, you know, it's- we've written one bestiary four different ways for four different systems. We finally got that right, by the way. We got an any nomination the fourth time out. <laughs> it just took four times. It took four times. But now we got the structure figured out for bestiaries. Um, I, I have to say, and that's one thing that's great, of finding a publisher who is open to maybe, like, if that's what you like to do, right? If you like to do experimental or different format, you know, work, finding a publisher who's friendly to that is the way to go. That's one of the reasons I love doing stuff for... Uh, for Wolfgang is that he is cool with going with experimental formats or experimental design. By you know, but on the other tone, other token, uh, some of the stuff that I've done for Atlas, I've tried. I've been like, hey, what if we were to flip it around and go with the bad guys as the as the things that people are playing this time? And and you know, the response was that's interesting, but that's not how we want to develop the line. Yep. You know, they're not as open. They have an established line. That's where they want to go. And they have a formula that works, right? It's right. like, well, part of the Cobalt formula is we like to mess around right. and change it up. I think if even if you went to someone like Paizo, right, they have a more established formula in their mainline books. And when I write for them as a freelancer occasionally, um, they tell me, well, you got to do this and you got to do this. The structure they require is a lot looser for their adventure paths, but they still want, you know, kind of this and kind of that and kind of this. There's a, a bit that works. Um, when I worked for Wizards of the Coast just recently on the Tyranny of Dragons project, let me tell you, they had they had a pretty clear idea of how they wanted encounter structures to, to be done and certain read-aloud treatments. But publishers will tell you, right? This is the part we care about. We want the read-aloud to be done this way. We want area descriptions to be done this way. And now we're talking mostly about adventure design here, but it's it's the same for monsters. It's the same for a sort of core books. Those tend to be things that new freelancers don't get their hands on as soon, right? You tend to get adventure or setting material assignments before crunching. Sure, but, but the other thing, too, is if you do get that freelancer assignment right from the publisher, the question you need to make sure you ask is, do you have a style guide, yep. right? Is there a document that you guys have that is your standard format for how you do things so that you don't accidentally hand over, you know, 5,000 words that's in some kind of narrative-type style that is totally off. Because oh, there the, are people who think that they're freelancing fiction, and that's another problem. It is, you know, make sure you ask that to, to get that file or get whatever their format is, because sometimes the publishers are busy. 
And they, they forget maybe for a moment that, yes, that guy that, you know, that person I talked to at the convention with the great pitch, you know. He doesn't know our style and exactly. our guidelines. We better make sure he gets the documents he needs so that text is styled correctly and the editor doesn't sort of tear their hair out and come back to me and say, why did you throw this new guy at me? He didn't do anything right. I had that on my on my my second Ars Magica book. They were like, well, of course you're supposed to do it this way. And I went, I, I never got that file. Never got the memo, never got the file. I mean, if you're proposing sort of a, a bigger blowing up of standard structure, like I want to do an indie game structure with a you know, D&D style fantasy thing, that's something you put in your pitch, right? If, if the whole point is let's make it interesting, let's mix it up with uh, story game elements, um, that's a selling point to some publishers and it's poison to other publishers. Um, but if, if you're messing with structure as part of what you're proposing, I would just put that right up front in the pitch, right? This is a, uh, an original structure, a unique structure, a structure that follows the style of Trail of Cthulhu. You know, give them something so that they know, oh, this is, you know, this is the approach I want to take. Um, yeah, over here. Sure. Yeah. At the same time, though, what if they say they like your idea, but you don't have it made yet? Oh, that's fine. That, 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 a lot of times, that that's the case. You don't have the manuscript done yet. In which case, then comes the careful art of negotiating the deadline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your first assignment usually isn't going to be, you know, give me 150,000 words for the next bestiary. Nobody's going to trust a newcomer with that. Uh, your first assignment's not going to be, we'd like to publish your new campaign setting in toto with a you know, six-volume line. It's going to be, here's six magic items. See what you can do. Right? I, need, I need a stat block. I need, yeah, I need a, an organized play adventure that's you know, for a two-hour slot. I need something small so that if you screw up, the publisher isn't like sitting there going, oh, you know, my whole project is derailed. Instead, they're... They're making that desperate call we talked about right. earlier, right, to, hey, you know that guy who writes for the fanzine? Get him on this. I need it next week, right? And you've given up that opportunity, and the other person is like, oh, he just needs six magic items next week. All right. Um, so it's going to be small, and so querying something fairly small is a lower-risk way for a publisher to try you out and for you to try out the publisher at the same time, right? They may be totally disorganized or unable to get their stuff together, or you may just have a, a strange expectation about how quickly things get published. <laughs> but that's, that's, that, the small bit, uh, like, submission is a good one, is why contests are still a good idea to yeah. submit to. Like, contests are fast feedback, and if you win one, you sort of vault to the front of the line, right? Because it's like, wow, there were 120 entries, and this is the one that made it past the judges and the public. And, yeah, let's give that guy some work, right? Everyone loves that. What a great approach. Um, but the judges are also probably – they're associated with the publisher many times. And so they're going to be looking through those entries. Even if you don't make it, you know, even if you don't win, they're going to be like, hey, you remember that entry that had uh, the exploding zombie thing in it? That was kind of a cool idea. You yeah, know? get the zombie guy. We yeah, have this thing. Let's, 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 let's You'll pigeonhole yourself very quickly, actually. Yeah. 
Um, it, this happens to freelancers all the time, and it's just human nature on the publisher side. Like, I don't know, I work with Adam Daigle. Um, he did stuff for Open Design for a couple of years. He did a bestiary for us. He loved doing monster design. Uh, eventually, he was hired by Paizo Publishing as a developer um, and does all sorts of things. But he was the monster but guy. But for us, he was the monster guy because he was good at it. He was fast. He seemed to enjoy it. And whenever the question was, oh, geez, something wrong with this monster, or we need a few more monsters, it was, well, can we get Adam to fix that? Right? So you can be the spell guy, the monster guy, the adventure guy, the setting person, uh, the Shadowrun guy, whatever it is. Bruce Cordell was the psionics guy. Yep. That was his, that was his, you know, it was like, we're going to do psionics. Who do we talk to? You only, you talk to Bruce Cordell. I mean, that was, I, when I, I did some work converting magic spells to psionic powers. And I had met Bruce at a at at the Gen Con, and we talked once or twice on email. And I I sent him a note. I'm like, is there a secret <laughs> converting magic to psionics I should know about? You know, in design work. And he I, gave you the secret password, did he? He did. He did. <laughs> he, there was no secret. No, there was no secret. Password. But that was what he was known for. Right. So whatever you're pitching, like that first series of things, it tends to be stuff you love and are passionate about anyway. It'll be for the system you're most familiar with. It'll be some portion of that system that you're most excited about. And maybe you'll try to tailor your pitch. I mean, this is one thing freelancers often do early in their careers. You tailor your pitch to what you think the publisher wants. And that can sometimes work, but honestly, I think you're better off saying, this is the thing I'm really excited about. Because you're going to write that better. You're going to write that better. You're going to meet that deadline. Your enthusiasm will show through in your text. And you'll feel better about your turnover than, oh, gosh, it's a monster contest. I hate monsters. All those stat blocks, right? I just want to write this cool set of NPC, whatever. I just like making magic items. I just want to make magic items. Why do they make me make monsters? Um, So pick something you like because you may, in fact, find yourself uh, put in a bucket labeled monster freelancer um, just on the basis of a few few outings with a publisher a few test cases alright um, way in the back oh yeah we mentioned this early on uh, the question is whether we have insight for someone coming in from the graphics side uh, this is mostly a writing seminar I will tell you that Cobalt Press has an art director and there are directions on how to get in touch with him and submit a portfolio. Um, his name's Mark Radel. His process is totally opaque to me. I just send him. When someone sends me an email saying, I'm an artist, I want to work with you, uh, I just forward it and say, all you, Mark. So I don't have any real hints about how to go about it other than have an online portfolio have something in it that's appropriate to the publisher you're trying to reach. Um, I, I know for the fanzine that we do for Ars Magica, um, I approach, you know, like I have some people out there who, who I've worked with in the past, but I also kind of watch like the G Plus stream to kind of look for somebody who is, you know, they're like, I'm looking to do things. And I usually approach them and say, look, I have, I have a really crappy budget. I certainly can't pay you what you're worth. But I also don't take any of your rights away from your work. You get to keep it. So I will give you a small amount of money, and you get to build up your portfolio. So those kinds of opportunities are great, too, while you're 
trying to get into the larger ones. Yeah, actually, the advice we gave earlier about <laughs> don't give away your work except the, your first piece probably applies in the art world as well, right? Like, you don't want to work for free and make yourself known as the volunteer who's always illustrating every issue of the fanzine forever, because that's not a career, that's, that's a hobby. Right. Um, but in order to get one publication credit, I said earlier, it's probably worth doing, you know, one or two pieces for free for a fanzine and then being able to point to, well, you know, this fanzine published me. There's my work on the cover of issue 16. Uh, and, and then you go to a, a paying publisher and say, well, I'm not an unpublished artist. My graphic design is already here. So that's a nice trick that can that can work in your favor. And, and there are a few of those. I mean, there's like Sub Rosa, <clears throat> pardon me, Sub Rosa is the Ars Magica one. There's Wayfinder. They're for Pathfinder, they're always looking for artists. I know uh, Steve Russell at Wright Publishing loves to put someone different on the cover of uh, Pathways, his, his free like industry overview uh, web Magazine, scene yeah. every every month he wants a someone new <clears throat> and he wants <clears throat> pardon me he wants somebody new every issue and he wants to put new faces in that every issue so finding those venues is is a good way to to kind of crack in that route yeah because that first piece is important I Another place that you might scout around, I mean, things like the Cobalt Press blog, we'd love to have somebody illustrate, like, you know, Richard Pett's upcoming series or something, right? It's like, well, it's three pieces, single figures on a white background at low resolution for the web. We have a nice readership. We don't pay much. We're sort of like, I mean, the, the Cobalt Press blog is essentially our fancy. Um, where we try out new things and, and we don't have a lot of money, but we're just saying, here's some new artists. And if that works out, of course, it's a springboard to other things. So it, it is very much like writing in that... You have to build your reputation. you got to build yourself, yeah. Um, and beyond that, I have no advice on like style or technique or what the, you know, the larger story is in the graphics world. I can say, though... That people who've worked with Cobalt Press are doing really well. I was telling Ben as we were walking over, uh, it's an artist named Corey Trego Erdner, uh, who did a ton of work for Cobalt Press about two or three years ago, uh, black and white work and some cover work on a PDF series and a couple other pieces, and I just thought his stuff was great. Um, at some point, he we stopped working together, but this year, in the last couple weeks, I've seen his name... Uh, on uh, the Tarask art in the new D&D Monster Manual, the Umber Hulk art in the new D&D Monster Manual, and at least one more. Um, so a bunch of monsters in the 5th edition D&D core rules. Well, yeah, we were his springboard. We were one of his many springboards to get there, right? Um, Jason Rainville had a similar path. Yeah, so uh, there's very much an arc and a rung and a hierarchy to artists just as there is to writers, and you, you do start at the bottom. A friend, of, <clears throat> one of the other publishers for Wright um, Publishing always jokes with me. He's like, this is a pass-through artist, or this is a you know pass-through designer. Yeah, he's so talented, he won't be here long. So I'm going to get as much work as I can out of him until somebody else notices him and starts paying him, you know, or paying her way better. I think he had a layout, uh, a, a gal doing layout for yep, him. Yep. Same thing. She won't be here long, but yeah. I'm, I'm glad to give her a leg up. Oh, yeah. Sure. 
Uh, that, that is another reality of the business, right? You may find that you top out at a certain level, like people will give you organized play work, but they never seem to give you the full adventure path you're, you're longing for, or, uh, or you may get interior artwork, but you never get the cover. Um, when you hit those sorts of plateaus, there's ways to break through it, but it usually involves improving your craft, getting more critique, um, you know, work on your part to get past that, that barrier. So great question, even though we're really not in our panel. Uh, and I can give you Mark's contact information for Cobalt Press, or you can look it up on the website. Other stuff. Wow, we're out of questions. I get to ramble some more. I'm okay with that. Oh, no, another question. Well, I think we're going to go last. It's freelancing for just designing games, like going to board games. Sure. Uh, is the freelancing involving the industry still there, and how do you get into that? Is that similar to... Uh, it is similar to RPG freelancing. Uh, it, it has some some distinct differences in that you can't really query a board game <laughs> in the same way unless your, you know, name is Bruno Falduti or something. Mike Selinker. Or Mike Selinker, yeah. Um, so as a newcomer in the board game industry, you generally have to submit a complete design which may still be modified heavily later, but um, companies that take stuff from the outside, and, and there are such companies in the board game field, um, yeah, they're not looking for a pitch or a proposal. They're looking for a, a finished prototype. But it's really not my field. Um, so that's about the best I can tell you. There is something called the Cobalt Guide to Board Game Design, which is written by... Uh, about 20 people in the board game field who've been doing it forever. Uh, Richard Garfield, Steve Jackson, Mike Selinker, James Ernest. Uh, I'm running out of names, but they're all highly respected board game designers, and I would highly recommend that you read the Cobalt Guide to Board Game Design because it talks about prototyping, playtest, how to submit, how to publish yourself or with someone else. Uh, it's like 20 bucks. You can pick it up at the Cobalt booth or from Amazon or anywhere you want. Yeah? Can you feel about repitches? Repitches, you know, yeah. Pitches you, once, you give them some feedback, they come back a year later, or you pitch to Paizo, and they said no, so they take Well, it you. if some other publisher says no, I don't care, right? So I'm fine with hearing a pitch from someone else. Don't even tell me that you pitched it to someone else. You'd be smarter not to, because Paizo didn't like it? Hmm, I'm suspicious, right? <laughs> um, but if they took the time to give you feedback then they probably want to hear your revision. Yeah, I mean, there's different sorts of rejections, and there's a whole school of rejectomancy trying to figure out what the publisher really meant by, no, we don't want it. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's very <laughs> true. Some, some people who just won't take, no, we, we don't want it. And, Does he mean he wants it repitched? No, we don't want it. Um, usually, the kinds of things you want to repitch are the things that showed, like, Oh, our schedule's too full right now. Tends to be the sort of rejection that's like, well, it could be just a polite brush off, but it could be like they look at my pitch if I sharpen it up and resubmit it in six months. I, I think it's okay to resubmit. More than twice is probably just annoying. I don't get a lot of repitches from stuff I've seen before, but I'm sure that I get pitches that people have offered to um, someone. Uh, who said no. And if it just happens to fit into my new line of 
you know, short and sweet magic items. Oh, look, I got a repitch from someone for short. Oh, I forgot. I rejected that two years ago, but now it's perfect. So, timing. Yeah, I'd, I'd resubmit once. I wouldn't resubmit more than once. I can think of I can to think the of same one, person. Yeah, I can think of at least one example where I knew somebody who had had pitched this particular supplement to one publisher, and you know the format that he had had offered was was not what this publisher wanted. It was like ah, it's a neat idea, but I really don't want to see it. You know formatted that way I'd rather you did it like this and he he didn't want to do that he took it to a different guy and they they were like yeah we'll take that they don't care about your formatting quirks we think it's good this looks great yeah let's put it out and they they turned around and they published it so how are we supposed to know what you're working on so we can pitch you what you can't we won't uh, unless we're announcing it right you you don't know Uh, it's sort of part of the problem of being a freelancer is you don't have inside information uh, the newsletter that I was pointing out earlier and asking people to sign up for is where Cobalt Press says, here's what's coming, here's what we put up for pre-order, at least, you know, three to six months before it ships, um, we'll announce it in the newsletter, right? Um, but but blogs can give, like the publisher's blog can give, can give away some of the things they're working on. Um, sure. Looking at their product line can show you where their holes are, Right. Yeah, some publishers will do big publish announcements of here's what's coming for the whole next year, right? Because um, they are working a year ahead. Right. And so you usually have at least a few months warning if you follow those publishers closely. Um, Which I guess is kind of the, the, I don't know, the hidden the hidden skill that you... you need to develop as you're as you're working on being a freelancer it's not just your game design but then developing your familiarity with with the publishers in the industry that you want to publish in yep all right i'm going to give away the final secret of freelancing i think we have just about 15 minutes left um we haven't talked about this but when the publisher says yes (laughs) um you want to deliver on time and professionally. Um, it surprised me uh, when I was an editor at Dungeon Magazine and would say yes to queries and yes to pitches. At first I thought, well, I said yes, I should expect to see a manuscript in a few months when I finished writing it. But in fact, it doesn't work that way. There are people who query something, they have an idea, and they may have perfectly good reasons for never writing it after the publisher says they want to see it, right? They they got sick, they had a child, they moved cities and got a new job, they were busy, they got freaked out in cold feet and said, I'm not doing it, right? They caught the the car. Yeah, the dog caught the car, and now what? Now they don't know what to do with it. I promised 12,000 words of tomb robbing. I don't know. What was I thinking, right? (laughs) Um, And and the manuscript never shows up, and they've rejected themselves, right? Because it's like, well, I wanted to see the full manuscript. I thought I'd probably publish it if it's good. And that was my thinking at Dungeon Magazine. Um, and, and it would never come. And I was sometimes a little sad that some of the best pitches never came back. 
So, so step one is when they say yes, yeah, really write it. They, they yeah. do mean yes, right? I, I was kind of hopeful. I would see that thing. It would be great. 12,000 words on tomb robbing. That's exactly what I need for that, that Egyptian issue we're doing later. Um, it's a shoe-in. It's a lock. If they only they deliver a manuscript. Um, the other half of that is don't just deliver it. Deliver it in some approximation of a reasonable time period, right? Um, for the magazine things, it was on spec, right? We'd write a query. We'd say yes, send us a manuscript, and we'll maybe accept, maybe reject. It was on spec. Uh, a lot of stuff these days is, no, we're just going to send you a contract, right? And when we say yes, it's like, we want it by November 1st. Well, duh, get it in by November 1st. Deadlines are are sort of the obvious but sometimes frequently violated thing that that happens, right? At least until you can establish a relationship with the publisher to be able to discuss. The other and you with can, that you can, but that's like much later in the relationship. It's an early career freelancer getting your first on few time. things, right? And that's what I'm hearing here is yeah, you're on time and the answer is the answer to any question is pretty much yes. Yes, I can do that. I can make those changes. I can make it half the length. Yes, I can include a hippopotamus. Yes. Yeah. All right? <laughs> it's like you want the first thing to go. You want them to say yes because if they say no and, you know, it came in too late, I didn't want it, it's terrible, um, you didn't make the changes we needed, it's twice the length. And at some point, they're just we're not publishing this thing. It's it's not working out. Um, and then you're back in the pool of, well, I need them to say, yeah, I, I'm going to write you a contract for something else. Um, yeah, then you're right back where you start. Right. So um, You've blown that goodwill. You've blown that goodwill. You've blown that deadline. People, publishers tend to vary in how forgiving they are about deadlines. I mean, Chaosium is sort of notorious about, we'll ship it when it's done. Right. If you're writing for Call of Cthulhu, I have a project I submitted to them in 2008. Um, they came back to me in 2006 for a rewrite in 2009 for another rewrite. They were changing rule systems. Um, anyway, my story. They, they were happy with the manuscript. They wanted me to change the complete rule system for the adventure. Um, so I did because uh, I really like Call of Cthulhu and I really wanted a publication with them. Uh, and then they came back to me um, this summer after their big Kickstarter. And I said, you remember that thing? Yeah, I remember that thing. Yeah, you submitted it twice. Yeah, I did. Uh, and we paid you for the submit. Yeah, yeah. You never published it. Yeah, that's right. Could you revise it one more time? <laughs> I was like, all right, what do you want now? Well, it's 40,000 words, and we want it more around 22. Oh, Jesus. All right, I really want a publication with Call of Cthulhu. We'll make it happen. Yeah. We're on soon. We, we own this room all day, Call. Um so, I mean, it's pretty long in my, pretty far along in my career, and I was willing to hustle to, to make Chaosium happy, and they just want to change, 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 and it's going to be published this year. It's called Slow Boat to China. You should check it out. It's a pulp adventure. Um, all right, so, yeah, when the publisher says yes, deliver. Uh, when the publisher says change it, change it. Uh, and then the third thing I'd say is uh, when you can't deliver, communicate. Communicate. Stay in communication with your publisher. Yeah, I have two freelancers whose names are forever burned into my brain because uh, they said they were going to deliver and they didn't deliver. Not only did they not deliver, they didn't tell me. 
Uh, so I send increasingly anxious emails saying, are you okay? Um, where's the manuscript? We weren't sure if one was alive. Yeah, one of them had mentioned ill health and then disappeared. And I'm like, is he dead? It, it, you know, what What should I say? I, I don't know what to tell the people who... This was like a crowd-funded project, right? What should I tell the backers? We started off with, are you... You know, I was trying to find the guy who was like, are you okay? Like, that's the first question. Are you like... Has there been a car accident? Are you in a Turkish prison? Like, what, <laughs> where are you? What's going on? And if we had just gotten the mail that said, oh, you know, I'm very ill and I don't think I can deliver, uh, you know, <laughs> I... That would be understandable, but complete silence is really bad because we assume the worst, and then the deadline slips and slips, and we don't know what to say. Like, do we drop the book entirely, or should we assign it to someone else? Um, so lack of communication is bad, bad, bad. And I had to fess up to this recently, actually on the Cthulhu Project, where they're like, yeah, we want it from 40,000 words down to 22. And I'm, like, I'm sort of busy on the run-up to Gen Con, and I've got, I'm releasing a really big book. I think I'm going to blow my deadline. They're like, well, how much? By at least a week. And I'm like, that's fine. Chaosium's blown deadlines for years, right? We, a week. Thanks for telling us. We have 13 pat, pat, years. Pat. <laughs> but I wanted to tell them because there are other publishers who, you know, would say, a week? No, 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 no. This is our Gen Con release. You know, you get it in on time or we're unhappy. And at least I would know... Or I need to go look for a hero. Right. I had, you go look for a hero. We would have had the discussion, which would have been, you get someone else to cut it down to size, right? Or um, or I burn a whole lot of midnight oil, and, oh, by the way, this is my fourth rewrite. Could you maybe bump the pay? Because it's the fourth rewrite on this. You know, and that's... It depends on your relationship with the yeah. publisher. It really does. Uh, the people who I've been working with the longest get the most slack. Not surprising. Occasionally you need it. Occasionally you need it. Ben knows. And and people who've, like, burned a deadline once may come back and be the regulars that we appreciate forever after because they feel like they learned their lesson on the bad deadline the first time. But, you know. um, So, yeah, it's a relationship with any publisher uh, you hope to freelance with for a long time. All right, we're just about out of time. We've got about five minutes left. Any last questions? Sure. Uh, so when you look at pitches, is there anything that sends up a red flag that you automatically will consider? Like, there are things that... Too much background. Yeah, like people who want to send me their world history for, you know, I'm asking for six magic items. I, I don't need the when the earth cooled stuff. Or how the great wizard so-and-so created, like, no. Yeah, people who tend to write too much of their own campaign, or people who say there's a short story attached, that's usually a red flag. It's like, you really want to be writing fiction? Go write fiction. It's a worthy calling. Um, But it's not game design. Uh, What else? Because we would would do a lot of pitches, and I say focus on the action. Focus on where things are going in that pitch. What's the value at the table, right? That's right. what I want to know. Not like... How are people going to look at this product and be like, that's cool. I want to get that. Yeah. That's where you want to show that hook um, in your pitch. I sometimes call it a red flag when people tell me, I have an artist and a cartographer. Oh, God. Yeah. I, don't, I hate that. It's like... I, I brought a whole band. Yeah, it's like... 
they're pitching me something. It's like I'm bringing four people with me. I mean, I get upset when it's like two co-authors. And sometimes those relationships are really good where one person is the idea guy and the other person can actually write in English or, or whatever. Guys, like massive mechanics. And the, and the other, other one is like rich, story. rich flavor and story that makes you just want to, yeah, I want to run that. Um, I mean, those partnerships work clearly often. But like the moment you start saying it's more than just me, it's like, because how many people do I have to deal with? There's too many moving parts yeah. to that. It's like, well, then what happens if your artist guy who is doing it, he flakes? Or, you know, yeah. if the cartographer, if she has a problem, where where does the responsibility lie? The publisher wants one belly button. Yep, really do. Um, so that's, that's kind of a red flag. Um, because it also looks like it's, it's almost like we have a tiny press of ourselves and we can't. You know, we haven't yet gotten a hold of making our own self-publishing yet. Can we come kind of self-publish with you? Yeah. And can, that's not what he wants can, to do. Can you do all the layout and the editing and the accounting and the shipping and the promotion work? And we'll just do the fun creative parts? Well, <laughs> I no. guess we could strike that deal. What are you willing to pay me for that? <laughs> right? Um, uh, I mean, being a publisher is a creative job, and part of it is trying to find the right things and the right people and put them together so that magic happens and the product is awesome. We've had projects like that that's like, that went by in six weeks, and we shipped it. And, like, you know, people in the industry are all going, good work. And we're like, it, all, it was the right team at the right time, and it was great. And we've had projects where it's just a few of the wrong people and everyone feels the friction. 18 months later. 18 months later. It's like, are we still on this project? Why isn't it done yet? Um, so you may think of freelancing as a solitary profession, and it often, often is. But the moment you hand off a manuscript or the moment you have a collaboration where it's like somebody's asking you for sketch maps or help us with the art brief or you know, they start asking you, so what do you think of this? Or let's do a line of products. You know, you're getting into a team environment where... You're the writer, you're the game designer, you're bringing the ideas to the table and the mechanics to the table, but the process doesn't end with you. Um, and if you play nicely with others and you don't, uh, your first post to the fan forum isn't, wow, that cover sucks, I can't believe they stuck that cover on. Oh, I'm serious. This happens in, among novelists all the time, right? Because they have no control over the cover and they have an idea in their head of what the cover should be. And we're all imaginative people, and it always looks better in our head. It still looks better in my head all these years later <laughs> than the covers I actually get on my books. But, um, but play nice, right? And, and once in a while, you may look at a cover and say, wow, it does look great. I didn't think it would look this awesome. And the editor made me look good. And the layout's sweet. And, you know... A little appreciation for everybody else who is making you look good uh, is a sign of professionalism and maturity uh, and means you're more likely to be invited back. Uh, the prima donna writers only get away with it if they are ferociously, ferociously talented. Uh, and you might be, but I don't know that about you uh, on your first project, right? <laughs> be a prima donna later in your career. <laughs> is that it? Is that our time? That's it. We are ready for our next panel. Thank you all for your wonderful questions and your attention. Thank you.
Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.